it's season three of the Smug Buds, baby. This is episode 22, and we are here for it. We being me, your host, Liz, and my co-host, Will. Hi, are you? Hi, how are you, Will? Hi, Liz. (laughs) I'm good. (laughs) How are you? I'm good. It's uh, we are now recording for season three. Um, mm-hmm. oh, things are going to be a slightly out of order now. What are we not doing today? We are not doing an episode of you see. I am talking MCU to you. <laughs> yes, because we're going to have a guest bud for that episode, like the whole episode. That's the plan. Um, you're still going to lead, but we're going to have a guest bud, and so we are not recording that actually until a month from now basically yes because right Uh, now as we're recording this it is early october mm -hmm. but we'll be releasing this about a month from now in early to mid-november yeah in the early november that's a band isn't it yes it is i I forgot i I haven't i haven't thought about that in several years yeah they i was telling kenny about them the other day because they're they're out they're like sort of album that they are like mostly known for is called Rooms Too Cold. Uh-huh. Um which is from the song titled which by the way everything about this band is like they're just so sad all the time. Sure. And the last song on that album is called Everything's Too Cold Ellipses but you're so hot. Okay. And the like chorus of that song is like um, it's like, you say the room's too cold, but when I learn, but I learn, it's like, but when I learn to make heat, it's just to disappoint. <laughs> so, okay. <laughs> so emo. Pass. Hard pass. <laughs> Ace Enders was a cutie, though. He was the singer. I'll take your word for it. Um, so... It's the opener, and I'm opening because of this weird switcheroo. So, Will, do you want to tell our fine goslings what we're going to be talking about? Yeah, I am happy uh, to be taking the passenger seat while you take on the duties of leading the season premiere, and you are doing so with the topic of breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And specifically, what I think you wrote in our Excel spreadsheet document where we keep our episode ideas something that you refer to as the breastfeeding myth (laughs) in all capital letters yes so we're gonna talk about breastfeeding um and we're gonna talk about it because i get really mad about it and Mm -hmm. i get really mad about it because i feel like i was lied to and Mm. i feel like i was lied to after i had done extensive research and it was very difficult for me to find the information that i needed and um, after years after I had been done breastfeeding, I mean, I mean, I only have a three year old, but like literally six months ago or something, eight months ago, mm-hmm. my, well, yeah, I mean, it was like after January. So yeah, like probably eight months ago, my friend Elise, um, the poet and um, author of uh, Super Mario Brothers 3 from Boss Fight Books, mm-hmm. Elise Noor. Um, and I were talking about breastfeeding. Her and her wife had had a baby. Elise was not the one breastfeeding. And I was talking about how terrible it is because um, it was terrible for me. And I'll, I'll explain why. And she was like, have you read this? And sent me this article from 2009 called The mm. Case Against Breastfeeding that was published in The Atlantic. Mm. And I read this article and 
flipped out. And it was soon as I sort of knew what I was looking for, I was able to find all of this information that made me like want to die. Like, cause I just, you know, I really went through the ringer with breastfeeding and uh-huh. I think it was mostly for not. I think it was mostly for a lie that I mm. put the effort in that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, and also as a note, this art, this article, which is sort of the Keystone article, though I, I found other sources and I put them in the show notes, um, was written by a woman named Hannah Rosen, who I didn't realize this until I was rereading this article. I was like, Hannah Rosen? She is one of the co-hosts of Invisibilia, which is an NPR podcast that I, I like. Oh, yeah. Um, and so this came out before she was like way before she was on that podcast. Cause again, it came out in 2009. Mm-hmm. Um, but long before podcasts existed. <laughs> Before, before they were invented by Conan O'Brien. <laughs> by us. <laughs> yeah, oh, Conan yes. O'Brien. You and me and Conan O'Brien. We're never going to get on Earwolf now, Will. Mm-hmm. Also, we don't live in California. <laughs> Technically, I mean, I think there's still at least one Earwolf podcast operating on the East Coast. But, uh, yeah, that's a very small branch. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. So... Let me pull up my notes and then do well actually first let's baseline this shit. Um no, what do you, I've got nothing to say. <laughs> <laughs> do you know anything anything about this? You no. know that I hated it, right? Yes. Do you remember I know, why I hated it? Do you know what I've always cited as the reason I hated it so much? I remember anecdotes of uh you uh having to pump and it made you feel sick. Yes. And I remember anecdotes about uh, watching CISO programs uh, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, during that time. And I remember that you uh, spun that into the gold of uh, an all-time great Twitter interaction between you and Paul F. Tompkins and Rhea Butcher. Yes. But, uh, yeah, that's uh, about all I remember and about all I know about the subject. Okay, so I just want to make a couple of notes about this before I get into it. Um, I'm going to be talking a lot about women and men in this context. Yep. Um, breastfeeding is not exclusive to heteronormativity, and it's not exclusive to heteronormative couples. It's also not exclusive to women. There are people that are not women that breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm going to be saying those words in general, um, not because I'm trying to exclude those people, but because it would become cumbersome to repeat it over and over again. Because we don't have a good agreed upon shorthand for person with a body that we traditionally understand as a woman's body Mm -hmm. or a man's body. And also, um, a lot of the problems that I'm going to be some of the problems I'm going to be talking about, especially in the second half, I think do fall much heavier on heteronormative couples. Because as mm. soon as you get out of the structure of heteronormativity where it's not the default, I think it's less light, likely to play out as immediately in the way that I'm going to describe. Yeah. Um, sort of and like I how do... when you – oh, go ahead. No, I, I was just going to say, and I do think that it is okay and acceptable to say heterosexual couples – 
which I oh, think did I is keep what saying you heteronormative mean, couples. Yeah, which I think is what you mean when you say heteronormative couples. Well, I, I guess like I mean like I do mean heterosexual, but I also just mean that um a you know a couple that really a sees couple itself. who fits the heteronormative paradigm. Yes, Be- because hypothetically, you could have a heterosexual couple that's two trans people. Uh huh. And I wouldn't necessarily call that heteronormative. I think heteronormative is a mindset. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm trying to focus on, I guess is what I mean. I'm trying to focus on the mindset. Okay. And you'll you'll see why when we get to it. So I'm going to give now a p- part one, a brief history on the um, history of breastfeeding. So breastfeeding um, for a long time was uh, – the only way that babies could eat, right? Mm-hmm. Which isn't totally true. I mean, I think the other thing here is, like, a lot of the things I talk about here are not totally true. So, like, a lot of times, yeah, if you couldn't breastfeed and there were no other options around, it might just be that your baby would die. That sucks. Um, yeah. But also people figured out other things, right? People figured out cow's milk and stuff and maybe their baby wasn't as healthy but you know for a long time you know way i'm talking back into the ether there was only breastfeeding Uh and then there was also a time period where there were wet nurses have you heard this term before yes i have do you know what it is i can hazard a guess hazard uh people who uh did the breastfe- breastfeeding in in lieu of mothers yes. doing it? So Profession- these are- professional professional breastfeeders. Yes, these are women that have given birth so that they're lactating, and they don't uh-huh. stop lactating because they continue to breastfeed other women's children. Or sometimes mm. they're breastfeeding other women's children, and their own children are getting like oh, like weirder, less consistent nutrition. Hmm. Um. And then breastfeeding became a we, – we did sort of a wee one with breastfeeding. So if you go back to when my cousin Judy – my cousin Judy told me this. My cousin Judy's like 85. If you go back to when my cousin Judy was a kid, the, what they had for formula was sweetened condensed milk and caro syrup, um, which is just like not good. Caro syrup – it's like just sugar. It's just like sugar in some like – processed mm-hmm. milk mm-hmm. great um and so then there started to be nestle and there started to be formula that was created by these big box companies and everybody was trying to you know these these corporate companies were trying to push formula on mothers right mm-hmm. and you have parents that are never attempting to breastfeed um, there's a picture of my mom as a newborn with, um, my grandma feeding her with a bottle. It was like, she, they were never going to breastfeed her. Never a thing. This also mm-hmm. then starts to become a class issue and it will remain a class issue, but the way that it remains a class issue will we want because poorer mothers that don't have access to pay for formula are going to breastfeed and the rich mothers are going to have the luxury of formula. Sure. Okay. But then you have this movement, you know, into the 80s and 90s where 
formula is seen as like capitalism and the mm-hmm. man and breastfeeding is seen as natural it's exactly mm-hmm. what the baby needs i mean i think if you if you google anything about breastfeeding you will come across this narrative of you know breast is best is part of it but it's also just that like you know this is what our bodies were made for our bodies mm-hmm. were made to feed babies and like yeah. if you're saying something else like it's trash like like literally it'll be saying things like you know you know you could give your child this perfect thing or you could give them like poison you know, poison yeah um mm-hmm. and there's a big push um, in the early 2000s to, um, specifically in the early 2000s, like an actual, like, marketing campaign to breastfeed. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and it's framed in these terms. It's framed in the terms of, like, you're giving your child the best that you can give them or you're giving them dirt. Mm-hmm. And so this is the things that people who are for breastfeeding are going to say now. <sighs> Breast is bets. It's totally natural. It's what the baby should do. It's free. And I'm going to address these all later. Sure. It self-regulates a baby's eating habits. So the baby's going to, you know, the baby's going to eat as much as they want. It'll be fine. Uh Um, You should exclusively breastfeed for at least six months, but ideally to a year. I mean, exclusively breastfeed falls apart when they start eating solid food. But, like, they should only have breast milk as a liquid until they're at least a year probably longer um mm-hmm. and if you if you supplement with formula at any point this will lower your supply and this will mean that there will be less breast milk available for the baby and you will fail at breastfeeding so you should go out of your way to never take a break and mm-hmm. only give them breast milk mm-hmm. um if you give them a pacifier at, before breastfeeding is established it can cause nipple confusion where sure. your baby will think that they should only suck on a pacifier and not on your boob. Mm-hmm. And then again, there's this whole formula industrial complex, um, which I will say this whole, this whole criticism, I'm going to uh, address all these, but this whole criticism of the formula industrial complex as if there isn't one for breastfeeding is like ridiculous. That's where I need to be caught up. Which one? The the, the say, okay. So say, say as you are saying uh-huh. that there is a lobby for breastfeeding. Yes. Who stands to gain from that being the dominant narrative, and how do they gain from it? So this is who gains from that: the patriarchy. We'll get to that larger argument for that in a bit. Okay. Um, companies that sell, uh, uh, um, nursing bras, which is a special bra that has, uh, I can't see what you can see of my shirt right now. So like, if you have a bra like this here, it'll have a clip and you you can unclip it and this flap will flap down so that they Uh can access your nipple and then you can just clip it back. Mm -hmm. Um, pump manufacturers. Because yeah. if you're if you're exclusively breastfeeding, but you need to go away for all of like two hours, you might have to pump. Mm-hmm. Um, companies that are selling uh, nipple creams, companies mm-hmm. that are selling um, breast 
like, or like nipple, um, shields and, um, well, nipple shields are slightly different, but like the things that absorb breast milk if you like start squirting out, which some women do. Okay. Um, companies that are selling things that promote lactation. So lactation teas, lactation cookies, lactation mm. bites, lactation, anything that you put in supplements. So like pills, yeah. anything that you would put into your body that would, you know, create your, make your supply better. Now um, it's starting to sound like real huckster stuff to my mm-hmm. ears. Yes. Um, and I mean, some of these things, I, I don't mean to downplay these. Like I needed a pump when I was doing, well, needed, you know, I wanted to keep producing breast milk. So I needed a pump mm-hmm. um, for reasons I'll explain in a second. Like, you know, if you want to breastfeed, like you do, you might occasionally need some sort of salve, right? Uh-huh. Because your breasts can get all all goofy. Um. So yeah, that's like that complex. Mm-hmm. So this is where I'm going to um, give you a little bit of a history of what happened with me with breastfeeding. Some of yep. which you already know and have already brought up. Mm-hmm. But also if the listener has listened to episode one of our podcast or any episode of our podcast, they'll know about Elliot and his heart. So I went into this thinking, I'm going to try to breastfeed. I'll do the best that I can. And whatever happens, happens. Um, if it doesn't work out, we can get formula. That's fine. If it, if I like it, I'll keep doing it. Mm-hmm. So I breastfed for a month without supplementing at all for the most part. And um, it was not going well. Elliot was not gaining weight. Um, he never seemed to have a latch. At first he had lost, so they, you're, they don't want your baby to lose more than 10% of their body weight before, after they, before they leave the hospital. So Elliot was five pounds, 15 ounces when he was born and five pounds, four ounces when we left the hospital. And so they were concerned about this. And so he had tongue tie and lip tie, which he definitely had. So we got that clipped when he was five days old, which was just literally us going to a doctor's office and they took scissors. Do you know what tongue tie and lip tie is? I sort of do. Um, I have never fully understood this in general and also about myself. <laughs> but I I have a vague memory of being told that I have tongue tie. Oh, really? That I, that I am tongue tied. Yeah. Okay. So if you stick your tongue up. I can't. Ha- I, you can't at all? Yeah. I, I like physically like can't stick out my tongue. Like, okay, then yeah, you have tongue tie. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, that just means that the flap of skin on the bottom of your tongue goes mm-hmm. almost all the way or all the way to the tip. So yeah. you can't lift your mm-hmm. tongue off the bottom. With yeah. lip tie, you know that um, piece of skin that's right like below your nose? Sure. That on babies will go the whole way to the bottom of their lip and be connected okay. to their gum. Okay. The reason this is a problem is because when babies are breastfeeding, they need to be able to move their mouths to extract mm-hmm. breast milk from the breast. Right. And if they have tongue tie or lip tie, they, they're immobile, so they can't do it as well. And it's really, it's really frustrating for the baby because the baby's trying to get liquid out and can't. Yeah. And it's really painful for the mother because it's the difference between like, I don't know if you've ever read anything about cows and early milking machines. Early milking machines for cows were just like vacuums and like that's uh-huh. not great. <laughs> and right. now they have ones that sort of do this massaging motion, yeah. mm-hmm. like a rolling wave. Yeah. Um, so I did that for a month and then what did we find out after a month? 
Elliot had a hole in his heart, and that's why he was not gaining weight. This is why he was um, not, uh, you know, doing so great with, uh, you know, other things related to that. And part of Mm -hmm. this was eating. So Mm -hmm. um, I just remember trying to breastfeed him in the middle of the night at like two or three in the morning. And he just like wasn't eating. I just remember thinking he just was so tired. Like he clearly was awake Mm -hmm. and he was clearly hungry. And he just wasn't eating. Mm-hmm. And so basically as soon as we found out that he had a hole in his heart, I stopped breastfeeding. Like I I stopped putting him to my chest because okay. he was not gaining weight. And what the doctor mm-hmm. had us do was I pumped and then I would add formula to his breast milk. So you can't uh-huh. do too much of this because if you add too much, they um, – can't digest it like their their uh liver and stuff like that can't handle it mm-hmm. and their kidneys and stuff will start failing uh-huh. so literally it was like i think for four ounces i was adding like a teaspoon of formula okay which was like 12 extra calories yeah um and i did this for three months so okay. it was four months total that he was getting breast milk all right and let me give you an idea of what my schedule is like. So mm-hmm. I also want to say here that one of the real silver linings of Elliot having a hole in his heart was that after two months, he started sleeping through the night. After how long? Two months. Okay. So um, a lot of babies will start sleeping through the night closer to six months. Yeah. Um, the rest of them are usually sleeping through the night at a year. Two yeah. months is not totally unheard of but like most mm-hmm. babies shouldn't be sleeping through the night at two months because they should be eating and they just can't like they're so small that they can't the reason that they have to eat so often is so that they're so small that they can't have enough in their body to hold them over yeah uh-huh. and so um but he started sleeping for 11 11 hours at a time that's the other thing for some people sleeping through the night is sleeping six hours mm-hmm. that's not sleeping through the night sure that six hours is less than i sleep that is not sleeping through the night <laughs> do you know what i mean mm, yeah but that's like considered sleeping through the night elliot was sleeping for 11 hours at two months and so um so that 2 a.m feeding got knocked out um and so when i was home on maternity leave which was the next two months i okay. was um waking up um usually before elliot i was pumping Pumping took 20 to 25 minutes. I then had to clean all of the parts because everything has to be like super sanitary. Sure. Um, So I was like literally cleaning. I just remember my hands constantly being in like, you know, the hottest water I could stand. Uh Um, I would dry all of the parts. I would like pray that the parts would be dry by the time I had to pump again because putting something like wet onto my boob when it was like winter was like not pleasant. Okay. Um, Elliot would wake up. I would feed him. Because he had the hole in his heart, it took him forever to drink his milk. So, like, most babies, if you give them, like, a four-ounce bottle once they're, like, good at it or whatever, you know, it'll take, like, 10, 15 minutes. It was taking him 30 to 40 minutes to drink a bottle. He had to take – he would take multiple breaks because he would get so tired. His little heart would just be beating like a hummingbird. So I would feed him. That would take 30 to 40 minutes. So now it's like, you know, if we start the cycle, it's like – 
30 minutes in, I've pumped. I've now had like maybe 20 minutes. I've gotten him out of bed and fed him and that's like 30 minutes. So now we're at like an hour and a half. And now I have to, I have like maybe an hour before I have to, um, where I can do something with him. Mm -hmm. Um, but then I have to try to get him asleep again because I can't pump while he's awake because I can't, unless I have him in like a carrier, because I can't hold him while I'm pumping because I have Mm -hmm. this thing attached to my boobs and it sticks out like this far and I can't. Like, I remember once trying to have him sitting in my lap. Like, just he was so small, I used to just, like, sit him in my cross-legged and realize mm-hmm. that the, the bottles would hit his little face and that I couldn't do that. <laughs> um, And so I would have to then try to get him to s- asleep so that I could pump again two and a half hours later. Because I was pumping every two and a half hours. Sometimes yeah. it was two, sometimes it was three, but it was about mm-hmm. every two and a half. And, um... I would do this for the whole day. So I was pumping seven, eight, nine times a day, depending on where I was in this process. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it takes me like 30 minutes. So mm-hmm. it's like four and a half hours of my day. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of this, every time I breastfed or every time I pumped, I got nausea. Mm-hmm. So I felt like... Do you get nausea for during anything? Like, do you get nausea like on planes or on spinny rides or something? Uh, spinny rides, yeah, absolutely. Which is why in my lifetime there are very few times when I've gone on spinny rides. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and um, there have been times, uh, not so recently, but uh, growing up when uh, I might get car sick. Um, mm-hmm. Not from like every time being in the car, but just sometimes. And, uh, so yeah, I've, I've, uh, uh, had my share of experiences with that. Not so much recently, uh, fingers mm-hmm. crossed, knock wood. I'm thankful for that. So I would, it was like, I've described this in two ways. It, I got nausea and it was sort of like the, I never threw up or anything, but it was like the nausea of being like, like if you get car sick when you're like reading a book. Yeah. The other way I've described it is. If you've ever been with somebody that you knew you were going to break up with, or you were slowly realizing that you had to break up with them, but you still had to like make out with them because you weren't ready or could not yet break up with them. And so you're making out, you're making out with this person that you have, that you don't want to actually be making out with. And it's this like feeling in your mouth, like you need to drink water. Like, you need to get this person, like, out of your mouth, but, like, you still are kissing them because you have to. Okay. That's what it felt like. I wanted to throw Elliot, when I was breastfeeding, I wanted to throw his tiny buddy across the room and have him hit a wall. And then when I had a pump, I wanted to throw the pump against the room. (laughs) Sure. Yeah. That's everything that you just said is so, yes, completely understandable, except for the... Why did he have to hit a wall? Because I was mad. <laughs> okay. Oh, okay. Because right. if he hit the wall, I wouldn't have to do this again. Okay. Yeah. I, that's yeah. That's the missing piece of the puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> and clearly, I didn't do this right. Like, I didn't have some 
postpartum depression. I didn't have severe postpartum depression. So I was not going to throw my tiny little five pound baby across the room. But boy, did I want to. I just remember biting the insides of my lips or like Uh the insides of my mouth. Yeah. Okay. So I think it's time to bring our, our, our segment, guest bud over. So, Kenny, I'm going to – this is Kenny. This is my husband, long-spoken, oft-spoken of. I'm going to give you the headphones, and could you just tell Will, like, your – like, briefly your experience of what it was like when I was breastfeeding and pumping? Please welcome Kenny, the reluctant guest. Hello. Hi, Kenny. How's it going? Good. So, as Liz mentioned, um, I was overhearing. She said that she would get nauseated. Um, something I don't think she mentioned was – For the entire time that she would be pumping, she'd be moaning softly in an unpleasant way. So every time she would do this, not every time, but oftentimes, I wouldn't really be paying attention. And she'd make a noise and be like, what's wrong? And then I just realized that she was just pumping. I don't don't remember that I did that. Oh, yeah. That's terrible. Um, And, I mean, from my perspective, I wasn't going through it. But if you ever have someone that's close to you, um, especially a partner that you live with, doing anything unpleasant, like if they're sick, Mm -hmm. you don't want them to be like that anymore. And if it's something that they have an option to not do it, I was encouraging Liz every so often to consider stopping altogether Mm -hmm. um, because you shouldn't have to go through something like that if it's making you feel that way. Um, And I know for some people, they find it like pleasurable in a way. Or they enjoy doing it and they find it rewarding. Um, but if you find yourself in the opposite situation, um, you shouldn't keep doing that. Will, do you have any follow-up questions for Kenny while he's here? Uh, I guess I will just ask, did you, how, like, how did you ex- express that? If you were thinking, if you were feeling this way and thinking to yourself like, oh, if only she would just stop. Were you saying so? Were you saying so gently? Were you, you know, trying to be persuasive or were you suffering silently? It was gently. I mean, I know, like we would talk about it all the time. So I knew Liz knew that she had the option to stop. And the complicating Mm -hmm. factor she mentioned was his heart. And if that wasn't Mm -hmm. the case, I think that she probably would have stopped much sooner. Um, But... Even with that, you shouldn't be torturing yourself Yeah, for the betterment of someone else if there's another alternative. Right. Um, and I think that's what I kept bringing up. Um, and we would talk about like, oh, we're going to give it another few months and then stop. Um, but I mean, I was also seeing her, you know, you try to make everything as equal as possible mm-hmm. when you're in a partnership. But this mm. specifically wasn't something that we could make equal um even if i was cleaning um the pumping stuff more often than she was even if i was doing other things like i couldn't pump for her yeah um so it was a matter of watching her spend so much time pumping and us spending so much time feeding elliot and just knowing that i think our time could have been better spent to take care of ourselves so we weren't mentally breaking down um Because those early times when we had to feed him so often, it was very exhausting and it was stressful. 
Yeah, and I didn't say this, but um, when he started sleeping through the night at Christmas, um, it was like a month later, at, right before Christmas, he had a doctor's appointment, and they actually said we had to start waking him up to feed him at night, and Kenny did that. So, like, Kenny would hmm. every night stay up until 11, go into his room with a bottle, pick him up, and he would mostly sleep through it, right? Yeah, he would usually sleep through it, because um, at that point he could sleep and eat at the same time, because he was just a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, but even that, I mean, that was, especially when we knew the heart thing and we knew that we we're trying to get like every drop counted. Yeah. Um, that was also very stressful because if he was, if he was fully asleep, it was like, oh my God, you need to eat because you need to live. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And I remember you'd be like, oh, I don't want him to wake up the whole way because i want to just go to sleep right after this but also i need you to eat right yeah it was it it was the thing like he slept so well and it was like why do we have to ruin this like really good sleep pattern like why do we have to fuck this up yeah um and then the other thing is clearly i didn't do the pumping myself Mm. and was very much removed from it um but I will never forget the sound of that pump. I will never forget the sound of that pump. It would also mm. permeate my sleep. So when Liz would be doing it in the middle of the night or very early in the morning when I was still sleeping, suddenly my dreams would shift to have, like, I would be oceanside and I would hear the waves. <laughs> it sounded like waves crashing. And then mm. I would wake up and it would just be like the suction sound of this pump machine. Um and that's just a sound that will never, ever escape my brain. When I hear that yeah. sound now, and I mean, at this point, it's like clearly um, like Pavlov dog thing, Pavlovian. Mm-hmm. But like when I hear the sound of a pup now, I'm like, yeah. Well, yeah, it's also like you have this negative connotation towards something and then you have that sound every time. Um, not good. Yeah, not good at all. Thank you for being a guest, Kenny. Oh, you're very welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Kenny. Ba-ba-ba. He's a natural. He is. He's very good at enunciating. <laughs> he's not tongue-tied like I am. No, he's not. Um. So, yeah, which Kenny brought up another point here, which is like, if I hadn't had a kid with a hole in his heart, I would have stopped. Because right. these are the claims about breastfeeding that I had been told. Yes. I had been told that things like... You know, the whole, like, I mean, and this makes sense, right? Breast milk is made for babies. Babies will thrive the best off of breast milk. Um, it's made for them. Like, you you know, that's the narrative. And then there are all these studies that say things like kids that were breastfed have a better immune system because they're getting antibodies directly from the breast milk. It makes kids smarter. Kids that are smarter are more likely to have been breastfed. It makes kids less likely to have infections in general. Mm. It makes makes kids less likely to have asthma. Um, something that they that they that they'll be better at math. Um, <laughs> it can be used. They always talk about how it can be used as a salve. So, like if you if your nipples are cracked from breastfeeding, they'll be like, just put breast milk on it, which is like it just feels insane. Like you're in this like loop, this like mm-hmm. constant loop. Um, And so that's why I kept doing it was because the thing that my friend Kathy, who I've mentioned on the podcast before, has said before, um, and she's both, she breastfed both of her kids, but in varying amounts, um, Mm. because with her first kid, she had to go back to work. And so she was not doing it exclusively anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, But what she said was, which I really liked, 
and I, and I still like this thought, um, which is that like breast milk is the absolute best thing for your child, which is why any amount of it that they go- get is good. Hmm. And this seems like a very reasonable assumption to me, right? Like, you know, if, if the formula, if the baseline is that they're fed, <laughs> then this sort of like super material is like any amount of that they get as a bonus. Okay. Um, but when I had this child that suddenly had this health issue, it felt like it couldn't be a bonus anymore because we were literally uh. trying to get him. Like when I, I, I was so obsessive about how many calories he was getting. As soon as he could eat peanut butter when he was six months old, I was taking two tablespoons of peanut butter and whipping it with two tablespoons of water into this like mousse because it was 120 calories, which was as much as a full bottle of milk, but in like one ounce of liquid Mm -hmm. and you know i just felt like i had to give him every advantage to be able to succeed sure okay are you so you ready for the facts yeah this is the lie this was the lie that i was told right let's let's get on to the debunking portion of the program it's marginally better uh so here's the problem One thing that we know for certain is that the antibodies that are in breast milk do help prevent kids from having gastrointestinal issues. Okay. Um, But our bodies – and this makes sense. As soon as I thought of this, I was like, oh, the way that it works with humans is that, like, the antibodies don't get into the blood. They get digested. Mm -hmm. So when they're in the – stomach that's how they can prevent like gastrointestinal issues mm-hmm. but it's not like you're getting like my immunity into your bloodstream right um so there are some babies like there's a longest shortest time episode where um there was this baby that had a hole in his heart um but one that was going to grow closed by itself which Elliot's was not going to yeah but they needed to feed this baby as much as possible and this baby like was spitting up and throwing up all of the formula that they were giving him. I think it was a boy. And, um, she finally found a woman who was willing to donate her extra breast milk that she pumped. And that was how this baby got strong enough to then eventually grow and like have the heart issue Mm. fix itself. Mm -hmm. Um, to have a whole heart. Yes. Rather than a heart hole. But the problem with these studies is that um, they're really hard to do. So, like, when you're looking at the studies, they, for example, don't adjust a lot of them for things like class, socio socioeconomic status, mm-hmm. uh, education. Um, and so... Things are happening like it tends to be that women who are more educated breastfeed more, Mm -hmm. which they're not totally sure why, but that's what is happening. And so, yeah, of course, hypothetically, we know that children that have more resources are more likely to succeed. Mm Mm-hmm. So if you have a child whose mom, maybe this child's in a lower socioeconomic class, but they have parents who are highly educated and can teach their kid how to study, 
that kid's going to appear to be smarter mm-hmm. because they had parents that were able to teach them how to do school. Mm-hmm. Um, if they do have a lot of money, right. And they were, and let's say for example, they were able to exclusively breastfeed because the father made enough money by himself that the mom was able to stay home for a few years and breastfeed her mm-hmm. three children that she had. Sure. Um, then, yeah, it seems likely that they would end up looking smarter if they were able to then have, I don't know, the money for a tutor. Mm-hmm. And so these, all of these studies that are like showing this, like making these wild claims about like math and stuff like that, um, and health, um, mm-hmm. aren't adjusting for these factors that yeah. are almost certainly having more of an impact. Mm-hmm. Um, and in the studies that they have done where, for example, they're looking at two um, children, one of which was breastfed and the other that wasn't, but they're from the same parent. Those kids do tend to have no statistical difference between them. Hmm. Which is to say that, like, you know, let's say the first one was breastfed, but the second one uh, the mom went back to work or vice versa. Yeah. Those kids, when you look at all of those kids lined up next to each other, mm-hmm. they're the same. Mm-hmm. There's no, there's no meaningful difference between them. Right. And like, this is what, but also like, what did formula used to be? Sweetened condensed milk and caro syrup. Right. Uh-huh. Formula is better than that now. Yeah. I would hope. Yes. And so, like, it's not just that, like, you know, breast milk is, like, better. Breast milk is better than what we used to have. And it might even be better now in the sense that, like, it's better for their tummies and they like the taste of it better. Mm-hmm. But we've reached a point now that, like, as long as your kid, it's, like, one thing, and it's not even as much of a thing as I thought it was. Like, I thought it was mm. one thing, but, like, one thing that really was, like, boosted. And, mm-hmm. like, the studies just aren't there. Yeah. And can you see how mad this would make me? <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. Um, yeah, like you, like you said, it's like you went through all that you know, pain and torment for, for no good reason. But like, so this is where I get like, so first off, there's plenty of people I'm sure that are listening to this right now, you know, of our thousands (laughs) of listeners that are saying that are disagreeing with my scientific claims. And I mean, the thing is, is that I've done more research beyond this one article and I've, I've linked some of the other things here and it's just not there. Like the information is just not there. Um, and, you know, some of the smartest children I know were not breastfed because their mother could not breastfeed at all because she didn't have mammary glands. Um, and, and also things like, uh, like that whole nipple confusion thing is like not a thing. Like mm. it's like they've, they've found that out. Um, oh, another one that we, I, another one of the claims I talked about was that, um, uh, it's like impo- uh, one thing. So, well, sorry, let me go back. One of the things I did not talk about when I went to is that it's good for mother child bonding. Yes, mm. there is a bonding that can happen, but it's not like 
it's not like the child will suddenly not form a bond with anyone if they can't breastfeed. Right. Um, and so there, there's all these things and it's all there. And then when mothers feel like they can't do it or they don't want to do it anymore, they feel this intense guilt, which I had gone out of my way to avoid. And yet Mm. still here I am feeling this intense guilt and the science is just not there. Mm -hmm. But this is, this is where I'm now going to say the thing. That I think is sort of radical, or at mm-hmm. least where I'm going to be smug. Sure. I don't think we should really be breastfeeding. Interesting. And I'll tell you why. <laughs> hmm And I, I need to preface this first. I need to preface this by saying, I know plenty of women who love breastfeeding. Yeah, not everyone has the experience that you had. Yes, of always being nauseated by it. It's they, not torture for everyone, though it was for you. Yes. They, they, it's relatively easy for them, let's say. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it's, um, pleasurable for them. They get mm. a release of good hormones when they do it. So, you know, and good chemicals. So they get mm. like a lot of good feelings. Yeah. Um, it is something that, uh, makes, their lives easier, you know, if they have the sort of flexibility and freedom to be breastfeeding. Mm-hmm. Um, cause one of the sort of things that I was told was like, you know, when you're using formula, you have the freedom to sort of like be away from your baby, but you have mm-hmm. to clean all those bottles. I mean, this was something that was always brought up was like, there's just so much cleaning, which like sort of drives me nuts because um, and then, of course, you know, the benefits to breastfeeding were, like, everything I just listed. And then also, like, you can just, like, if the baby's hungry, you just pick up and feed them. You put them down. Like, mm-hmm. that's just so easy. And then they were – but, you know, the downside being that you can't really be away from your baby for very long. Mm-hmm. At least initially. Whereas I was in this middle place where I was pumping. So I had to do both, right? Like, I couldn't be away from my baby for very long. Or at least mm-hmm. very far away from my pump. Mm-hmm. But I also uh, had to do a shit ton of cleaning. Um, mm-hmm. Which I had to do way more cleaning with a pump. Because I had to clean all of the pump parts. Which you'd think they're not that many. And there are. There's like yeah. a bottle. And then like a screwy thing. And then like a top part. And then this like nipple shieldy part. But then there's two for each side. And you have to get them completely sanitized. Anyway. um, So... There's women that really like this. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also women that do this, you know, they might, once they're like pretty established or whatever, after a couple of months, they'll only do it like maybe at night or in the morning. And then the baby gets formula for the rest of the day. So they do actually, you know, they don't have this thing where like their supply goes down and it's a whole problem and they just can't do it at all ever again. Yeah. And to those people, more power to you. If it's working really well for you, I definitely think you should do it. I okay. want to address the people that are either it's not working for or in the middle. Okay. And if you're in the middle, I say don't do it. Mm. And let me tell you why. Yes. So we already know that the science is not there for it being like way, way better, right? Sure. But let's even actually say that it's like 150% better. Okay, better than all formula. 
Yes. Or mostly formula. Yes. So I'm going to read this section from um, Hannah Rosen's piece, The Case Against Breastfeeding. Okay. About seven years ago, I met a woman from Montreal, the sister of the sister-in-law of a friend who was young and healthy and normal in every way, except that she refused to breastfeed her children. She wasn't working at the time. She just felt that breastfeeding would set up an unequal dynamic in her marriage, one in which the mother, who was responsible for the very sustenance of the infant, would naturally become responsible for everything else as well. At the time, I only had one young child, so I thought she was a kooky Canadian and selfish and irresponsible. But of course, I know now that she was right. I recalled her with sisterly love a few months ago at three in the morning when I was propped up in bed for the second time that night with my new baby, note the my. My husband acknowledged the ripple in the nighttime piece with a grunt, and that's about it. And why should he do more? There was no use in both of us being a wreck in the morning. Nonetheless, it was hard not to seethe. And I remember reading this and being like, I could have just never done it. Like, that was never an option for me in my head. In my Mm -hmm. head, I always could have tried. And yet, I think that Kenny and I probably have one of the most equal partnerships that I've ever encountered. In terms of, like, the way that we that we split and divide labor. Okay. And this threw a loop. Because this threw a wrench in this whole system. And let me tell you why. The partner not breastfeeding is automatically doing less work. 100% mm-hmm. all the time. I mean, this mm-hmm. is true. I mentioned my... um my friend Elise earlier. And I think from talking to her, I think that she also felt like, you know, there's, you know, at some point there's only so much you can do if you're not the one breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. And, um, there was just no way to make that equal. Mm -hmm. And this is why their brain doesn't have to be on high alert at all times. Right. So I had to constantly be aware of what Elliot was doing so that I could feed him. So, like, if he made a sound, I had to be more awake, you know. If he, uh, I remember once, I remember once I had, like, just finished feeding Elliot at, like, 7.30. And I had, like, crawled into bed. This is when he was, like, only a few weeks, like, maybe, like, two weeks old or something or a week old. I, like, crawled into bed and I, like, put the blanket on me and I closed my eyes. And, like, ten minutes later, Kenny came in and he was, like, He's crying. I think he's hungry. And I was like, I just looked at him and I said, no, it's not possible. Like, I just fed him. It's my turn to sleep now. Um, mm-hmm. Which is to say their bodies aren't being called upon to use sustenance. <laughs> they aren't dealing with the physical discomfort, which like the other thing is when you're breastfeeding, you have to get the milk out. Like. If you don't expel the breast milk that's in your breasts, it's like feeling like you have to pee, but like in your boobs and it burns. Um, and the partner is almost always sleeping because even if the partner wakes up with you and like gets the baby, like if the baby's in a different room and they get the baby from the crib and bring it to you, like they aren't doing this like physical act they can just sort of go to sleep and wake up, go to sleep and wake up. Um, the other thing with this is that women who are breastfeeding, especially in those first couple of months, are more likely than not to have given birth. Which I need to emphasize here how terrible giving birth is. Sure. 
you know, they've either just had a car crash in their vagina or they've had major surgery, right? They've had a C-section. Mm-hmm. And some women, I was pretty middle of the road, right? Some women have it easier. They just take ibuprofen. Some women have it way worse and they have like pretty serious birth injuries. I was pretty elite, pretty in the middle, but Will, there's literally no other circumstance that a doctor will recommend that a person who just had a major physical event only get intermittent sleep. How insane is this, right? I've read stories about dudes who've gotten like vasectomies and they were like, oh, well, the doctor recommended that I, I like lay on this couch for like a week. Mm-hmm. And like the mothers who like maybe just gave birth are still like running after their children. And when you give birth, you're expected to not sleep for months. Mm-hmm. Like, have you ever had any surgery or anything like that? I don't want to get into it, but yes. Okay. Um, and like, you were probably told not to do anything. I was a little kid, but yeah. Yeah. And so, like, my point being that, like, we don't expect anybody else to do this. Mm -hmm. We expect, we know that the best thing to happen after you have a major physical event is to rest. Because that's how our bodies heal. Mm -hmm. And yet, we have, we not only expect women to breastfeed, we put all of this pressure on them to breastfeed. And in their weakness, right, in their weakest moment, because they are so tired, we also make it very clear to them that this is the only way their child that is very new is going to succeed. Mm-hmm. Um, and then this goes back to that first paragraph. Because a woman is breastfeeding, that also means that she ends up doing more things with the baby. So again, like, there are these, like, hypothetical situations where the man gets the baby, you know, in this, like, again, this heteronormative situation. Yes. The man gets the baby and brings it to his his wife, and she, you know, breastfeeds the baby, and then the, the man takes the baby back to the crib and gets the baby to go to bed. But more often than not... The, this means the woman is putting the baby to bed because oftentimes babies will fall asleep when they're nursing and then you just like detach them and like put mm-hmm. them into the crib. Sure. They're changing the baby's diapers more often because if the baby's diaper needs changed when they're mid feed, the mother's not going to like wake up her husband, you know, or like even if, you know, if he's even home, like she's just going to like, well, put the baby down, change the baby's diaper, keep feeding. Mm-hmm. Um, and, all of that means that the mom is doing more work. Um, and on top of that, this also means that because this mother is home, right? Because the mother has to be home to be doing all this breastfeeding um, or mm-hmm. pumping or whatever. That she is going to start doing things like setting up doctor's appointments, right? Getting... Uh, other like logistical things set up for the child, like the other, like the child, like any childcare that's happening because like, it did not make sense. And I mean this truly, I don't mean this in like, this is not a dig on Kenny at all. It did not make sense for Kenny to be making doctor's appointments when I was home all day with the baby who was sick. And I could describe what mm-hmm. was happening to the baby, to the cardiologist and the pediatrician and the lactation consultant. Oh, right. That's another thing that makes a lot of money. Lactation consultants. Yeah. So if you're having trouble breastfeeding, you Go to this lactation consultant at your pediatrician. You pay the $40 copay. They mm-hmm. tell you how to, like, hold this baby. And then you get a bill for $100 a month later. 
Yeah. And what's the uh, name or just the title, if you prefer, of the lactation consultant? Lactation consultant. Yeah, no, but like if you were to address a letter to your lactation consultant, you might write Oh, what? I have no idea. I don't know if they have what their qualifications are. That's what I'm wondering. I'm sure that they have some sort of qualification, but I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. But they work at the pediatrician's office. Hmm. Um, which is also another class thing, right? Because if you have the money to go to a lactation consultant multiple times. Right. Um, so yeah. And so because a woman is breastfeeding, that also means that she's doing all these other things. Um, and so that means that she's more likely to then fall into these patterns that we know happen. Women who have children um, oftentimes have gaps in their work because they don't go back to work right away. They This is where some of the mobility issues happen in terms of them being able to move up in companies and be making more money than men. This mm-hmm. is part of where the wage gap starts happening. Um, and so what if we just didn't do it? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. And I also want to say, you know, like I said earlier, there are some women that actually really like doing this. Mm-hmm. And I I want to say, too, that, like, I think that it's – I don't think that everything has to be fully equal in a relationship at all times. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that we need to acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. Like, when I was pumping and Kenny could not do that for me mm-hmm. – Kenny made it very clear to me that as soon as some of that responsibility could be taken off of me, like, and I mean, this was earlier too. So like, as soon as I wasn't breastfeeding, Mm -hmm. as soon as I then stopped pumping, that he, he acknowledged to me that he knew that this burden was not equal. And Mm -hmm. he said, as soon as that stops, I will re-pick up these responsibilities. Mm -hmm. And he did. And I don't think that's a case for a lot of men. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, which is to say, I think that this unfair situation, quote unquote, this unbalanced, this imbalanced situation can mm-hmm. be done responsibly, um, and respectfully. But yeah. I think that in a large portion of cases, it's not, um, because of the patriarchy. Yeah. Um, and also because of this, I'm not saying, I also think that breastfeeding needs to be fully supported. So, like, I don't think anybody should be shamed for doing it. I think women should be able to do it whenever they need to, including in public and without a cover, which I did do on the very few occasions that I I was out and about. Um, And then women should be allowed to pump at work without being penalized. The logistics of this can get hairy. And um, all of those other things should be available so that women can succeed at breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Um. But I also kind of think we don't do, we shouldn't do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, which is another thing that I need to bring up here, which is that there are basically rules now, thanks to the Affordable Care Act, that say that companies ha- of a certain, that have a certain number of employees, I think it's like over 50, they have to have a room dedicated to breastfeeding that isn't a bathroom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because bathrooms are like not sanitary and you again have to, it's this like highly sanitized thing. Yeah. And, um, you have to be allowed to pump at work without being penalized. Mm-hmm. Which sounds great, right? Mm-hmm. Except there's a 
bit of a logistical issue here. Okay. Do you remember how long it's? I said it took me to pump? Uh, you, like 20, 25 minutes? Yeah, 20, 25 minutes to actually pump and then like five minutes to clean all the parts. Right. So, and how often was I doing this? I think you said like two and a half to three hours. Yeah. Yeah. So when I went back to work, I pumped for the month of January. Okay. This was my schedule then. I had to wake up way earlier than I would normally. Yeah. I think I was waking up at 5.30 to pump. Mm-hmm. I then between 6 and 7 um, would wake up, feed Elliot, get all my stuff together, and then I would take him to daycare or Kenny would take him to daycare. One of us would take him to daycare. Honestly, that I don't totally remember what happened there because it was like such a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. So I would have pumped at 5.30. I would get to work. At 8.30, I would pump from 8.30 to 9. Mm-hmm. I would then pump again from 12 to 12.30. Mm-hmm. And I would then pump again from 2 to 2.30. Mm-hmm. When did I eat lunch, Will? Around 1? Yeah. I And I did it at my desk. And I didn't get a break. Because just because they have to give you time to breastfeed doesn't mean they're paying you for that time. Yeah. What is that mean what it means is that i normally take an hour lunch break yeah so for me to keep up on my pumping schedule i had to take these three oh and i guess they were 20 minute breaks actually i was like pulling this off in 20 minutes so you're saying okay so you're saying that your three 20 minute pump breaks added up to your regular hour long lunch break yes how is that not being penalized, though? Because, no, it's not that I wasn't being penalized. What I'm saying is that if it takes women longer than that to pump, they have to stay longer at work. Okay. And, but, so, but, you, but, and so you start getting into this cycle where to be at work, you have to stop working to do a thing so that you can yeah. have your baby have breast milk because your baby's not with you because you're at work. And so you end up being at work for, I mean, not in my case because I take an hour lunch break. You end up being at work for a longer period of time. Yes. 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 I I understand this. My question is, in your mind, were you or were you not being penalized at work? I'm not saying that I was being penalized. I'm not. I, I Okay. That's what I'm asking. Yes. I'm saying that. It's not. I understand what you are saying. Okay. I'm just, I'm saying you, it sounds to me like you basically got your lunch break taken away because of this thing that you had to do and you are supposed to be legally allowed to do. Yeah. So how is that not being penalized? Wait, do you think that I'm being, do you think that I was being penalized? That's my view of it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I guess that's my point is like, I think that. I don't think that I was being penalized in the sense that I could have decided not to pump. But I think that it's becomes a situation where it makes it seem like it's a very welcoming workplace, but really all it is is they're not firing you for like taking time to not work. Mhm. And what ended up what happening for me is oh, so again, I would pump at 2:30 or 2 or whatever it was. 
Mm-hmm. I would get El- I would leave work at 4.30, get Elliot, come home, and immediately have to pump again at 5 o'clock when I would get right. home. Yeah. And so even if I had been breastfeeding, right, I would have had to breastfeed Elliot as soon as I got home. Mm-hmm. And so the amount of time that it takes to breastfeed and or pump when you're working yeah. just means that, like, you have no time for anything else. Mm-hmm. And again, some women who do this, their babies are better at it than Elliot was. <laughs> yeah. And so it doesn't take up as much time. Mm-hmm. But I think that um, it's uh, worth noting that, like, this thing that, like, we're supposed to be having all of this support for and we're supposed to be having all of this um, – you know, there's, like, all these corporate rules that make it seem like it's way better. I mean, it's better than, like, being fired, which is, like, what could used to happen. But it's still an incredible burden on the person who is breastfeeding. And the the consequences of that are, like, very, very clear. Um, Which I also want to now address the one point I made earlier, which is that people always talk about how um, breastfeeding is free, right? So they always talk about how, you know, well, you know, formula is so expensive, but breastfeeding is free. And of course, you know, I think I've already talked about all of those, like, things that you um, pay for when you're breastfeeding. But then there's this, and this is also from the case against breastfeeding from that piece in The Atlantic. The debate about breastfeeding takes place without any reference to its actual context in women's lives. Breastfeeding exclusively is not like taking a prenatal vitamin. It's a serious time commitment that pretty much guarantees that you will not work in any meaningful way. Let's say a baby feeds seven times a day and then the couple more times at night. That's nine times for about a half an hour each, which adds up to more than half of the working day every day for at least six months. This is why when people say that breastfeeding is free, I want to hit them with the two by four. It's only free if a woman's time is worth nothing. Mm, right. And I remember re- that was the part that I was like, I never should have done this. Mm-hmm. I never should have done this because even if it's better, it's it wasn't worth it for me. And I think it's I think it wouldn't be worth it for a lot of people. Right. And I think it wouldn't be worth it for a lot of people if they weren't lied to, right? Mm-hmm. I was lied yeah. to. Sure. Like, the the claims that I was told, even by my medical professionals that were in my life, were false. Yeah. yeah. Like, these were – and I think you know, like, I – would you say that I'm a person that goes out of her way to find good sources? Yeah, yeah. I think that you're – I think that you are a skeptic and an educated person and a learned person and, yeah, you 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 go to, to uh, you know, more than necessary lengths to, to know your stuff. I think also um, – uh, so I, I haven't told you about the breastfeeding class that I went to. Okay. And I think this sort of sums up the sort of, like, pressure that women are under to do mm-hmm. this. So we paid for a child care class through the hospital, which was great. It taught you just things like – things like st- I say stupid, quote, unquote, but, like, things that are pretty easy to figure out, like, how to put a diaper on a baby. <laughs> sure. But, like, 
it, it taught it like the first day of the class was like it took place at the hospital that I was giving birth. So it was all this information about like the hospital itself. Like physically mm-hmm. they walked us through where we were going to go. Right. These sort of things really put me at ease. The sort of the different choices you could make at different points in the process. And then the second day of the class, I took it over a weekend was about like, um, you know, how to swaddle a baby, the, um, how to the, the, um, Oh, I forget the name of it, but this method that like puts tiny babies to sleep where you like swaddle them and then you turn them upside down and then you go shh really loud in their mm-hmm. ears because they can't handle the white noise. Like their brains can't, they're, it's literally like their brains are too tiny to both cry and hear you make that very loud white noise in their ears so they stop crying. Hmm. Um, it's a real thing. It, it does work when they're very small. Okay. Um, and that was all very helpful. With that class came a free breastfeeding class. Mm-hmm. retail value of $40, mm. which was just like a three hour or two and a half hour class at the hospital wow. on like a Tuesday night or something. It's pretty long for $40. Oh. <laughs> well, I didn't pay anything except for the, cause it well, was free. Yeah. yeah, of course. And this class, this was run by a nurse. So this is a person that is like, you know, has qualifications and degrees and stuff. Uh, yeah. And she, was like, this is what you will do. You will not give the baby a pacifier. You will breastfeed on demand for as long as it takes to establish breastfeeding. Here are the different ways you can hold your baby to properly breastfeed. Um, mm-hmm. Here is information on this. Um, and she went through this whole thing. And the way she was talking about it, when Kenny tells the story, he's like, he's like, Liz likes school. Liz likes participating. And mm-hmm. part of the reason she likes participating is because she knows other people don't like participating, so she participates. And so he'll tell people, he'll be like, Liz didn't say a word for this whole class, and that's how I knew she was mad. <laughs> <laughs> so we get to the end of the class. There's, like, a survey. I'm, like, scribbling out my, like, criticisms of this class. Mm-hmm. And I hear this woman, this woman goes up and her partner go up to this, she's pregnant, to this nurse. And she's like... I know, I know that you said that, you know, these are the things that we should do, but like, what, what if it doesn't work? Mm -hmm. And she literally paused and said, what if I fail? Yeah. And the nurse looked at her and Mm -hmm. said, most women can breastfeed. So it's unlikely that it just won't work out for you. Mm -hmm. But if it, which she was not saying as a comforting thing. She was saying right. that if it's not working, it's because of you. Okay. And she then said, so if you choose not to breastfeed, that's your choice. Mm-hmm. But almost all women can breastfeed. Mm-hmm. But if you, but if it's not working out and you choose not to do it, that's your choice. Okay. And Kenny and I, I looked at Kenny and I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Sure. I would like read the room. Yeah. This woman is clearly feeling deeply insecure about this thing she's never done before. Mm-hmm. And your response is to be- say to her, like, well, I mean, you can choose to drink when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. That's your choice. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I just think that this is the breastfeeding myth. The breastfeeding myth is that breastfeeding is totally natural. It's fairly easy if it's not we have a bunch of resources available and it's so important for your baby that you should do it 
um, unless you can't. And if yeah. you can't, you know, that sucks, right? Because it would have been yeah. better if you could breastfeed. Your baby's mm-hmm. probably fine, but, like, it would have been better if you could breastfeed. Mm-hmm. And the truth of the matter is, is... A lot of those studies aren't adjusted for various really important variable factors like class, right. education, education, um, and other resources available. Mm-hmm. It definitely is better if you have a baby that's having gastrointestinal issues. Mm-hmm. Um, and But even if it was better, I think that it skews the responsibilities so much onto the breastfeeding person, onto the, mm-hmm. in many cases, mother. Yeah. That, uh, I don't think we should be doing it. Yeah. Unless you like it. That's the thing. Sure. Unless you right. like it. And that's your prerogative. And if you like it, that's fucking mm-hmm. great. Yeah. We're not here to stop you. <laughs> but like, if you're anywhere beyond liking it. Outside of that. Just fucking stop. Sure. Or don't start. Yeah. And if you are, you know, it's like. Again, it's, like, marginally better, right? So, like, mm-hmm. if you like it, sure. It yeah. seems If it's something that brings you joy, that's great. It's one benefit because if you're yeah. happy, your baby's happy. Yeah. I mean, Take not advantage. always, but, like, you know, if you are a well-rested person, you will be a well-rested, happy person. You will be better equipped to take care of a baby regardless of their temperament. Got to take care of yourself first before you can take care of anyone else. Yes. So, yeah, that's me and my big old fuck you to breastfeeding. Yeah, and this is an interesting topic for me to hear you speak about because it does speak to uh, several things that I'm always saying and thinking and reminding myself. Like, for example, uh, it's really hard to learn uh, which which assumptions are okay to take for granted. Uh, and there are a lot of things that you will take for granted that you uh, shouldn't because um, they're not what they appear to be at face value when you dig deeper into them. And also I'm often saying and thinking and reminding myself just to uh, expect uh, incompetence uh, from uh, anyone and everyone in uh, various positions and various situations and uh, various walks of life. Including babies. <laughs> they don't know how to do shit. I mean, that's the one thing they do know how to do. That's, uh, oh, very good. <laughs> yes. And, <laughs> yes, babies are the one part of the population that I think we've all accepted that we're supposed to expect incompetence from. But yeah. the harder lesson to learn is how much incompetence you will encounter from adults and adult yes. strangers and adult professionals. Yes. And uh, and and realizing, oh, that that person whose opinion I think should be gospel because they're a doctor or a professional, whatever. They're they're a lot like me. I just go through life doing what I do, <laughs> you know, not taking pride in any of it, and, yeah. <laughs> and just trying to skate by, you know. Uh huh. Yeah, it's a. Yes, I, I, I see, I understand what you're saying, but I also think that, I mean, I think the, the biggest part here is like, you know, I talk a lot about, you know, you do something, but then you have to look at like 
when you're look when you're looking at anything, right? When you're looking at like mm-hmm. giving birth or breastfeeding, like you have to look at the populations within that activity that are going to be the most vulnerable. Yeah. And I think that like in general people who have just given birth mm-hmm. are a vulnerable population mm-hmm. because they are not physically at their top at their top. Yeah. And even people who have a great time of it, you know, people who have like very mild um, you know, I, I was, I like, I always say I was very middle of the ground. I had, as I've discussed, these third degree or, um, not third degree. Yeah. Third, third degree perineal tears, second degree hmm. perineal tears. I can't even remember now. They weren't that bad. I was into the muscle, okay. but, um, and I was on Percocet, but, um, I didn't need to have like multiple, like, uh, like, reconstructive surgery or anything like that i didn't have to do any additional like physical therapy mm-hmm. i just had to like be on percocet whereas mm-hmm. i know some women who literally just like took some ibuprofen for swelling Ugh, i don't know how that's possible but okay mm-hmm. and you know then there are women that do have that other really big extreme but like you know with that plus the fact that you you really aren't sleeping a lot of the time i've always mm-hmm. said that i could have a newborn again or I mm-hmm. could give birth again. I don't think I could do both. Mm. If if a newborn arrives for me to adopt, I I mm-hmm. want to. Kenny and I plan to adopt years from now when Elliot's much older okay. and probably an older kid too. But let's say something were to happen and I were to need to step up and mm-hmm. have a newborn in my life. Yeah, um, I could do that again because I mm-hmm. would not be. And I mean, granted, I'm terrible without sleep in general, but I wouldn't also be injured like legitimately injured yeah and i also would be a surrogate Mm -hmm. if i have friends that need a surrogate i mean you're running out of time but like i'll do it yeah because i could give birth and then not have to take care of a baby (laughs) right because i think i still get six weeks off at my job okay so yeah six weeks i could recover great in six weeks if i could sleep cool yeah, and by the way, this gets to I th- one other little thing that I have been thinking while you've been talking about this, and that I think this is part of the subtext of the discussion mm-hmm. that I just want to put a spotlight on, which is that everyone knows that having a newborn is supposed to be a nightmare, and you will not get any sleep, and you will, you know, be brought, you know, your limits will be tested. And, and I haven't experienced it myself, but I understand this and I believe that what I don't hear acknowledged very often or very much at all is that, um, the, the real nightmare is, is having a job. Yes. In addition to having to be mm-hmm. a parent to a newborn and in general, having a job generally <laughs> nightmarish. Mm-hmm. Not speaking about my job in particular, just in general, you know, being a cog in the machine of capitalism, (laughs) not ideal. No. Well, and also, like, I want to point out, I mean, I think we know this gets into the fact that, like, most other, like, developed, I put in scare quotes, Mm because I know that that's a term that people use, but um, countries have much better leave policies, um, not just for the person who gave birth, but for that mm-hmm. person's partner, if they have one. Right. Mm-hmm. And um because I think that, t- to your point, 
like, it really does take, as they say, it takes a village. And when you have this very mm-hmm. vulnerable person, the baby, that yes. needs really highly attentive care, mm-hmm. it's not fair to put that all on one person. And it's also not fair to expect those people to do anything else. Yeah. And um, and on top of that, I also want to point out that there are some people who do not get – I got 13 weeks off, mm-hmm. fully paid. Yeah. Um, some people get six with partial pay through short-term disability. Some, yeah. some people get nothing, and it's just whatever they can cobble together of their vacation and sick time, and it ends up being three weeks. Mm-hmm. Some people get nothing, nothing. And yeah. they just stop working. Yeah. Or they stop working for as long as they can, which is like one week. Right. And then they have to go back to work. Yeah. And I could not have physically done that. And I have a job where I sit at a mm-hmm. desk. Right. Um. And yeah. And I, I think also to your point, you know, it's having a job. And it's also that like when you – so my the way my maternity leave was set up, it was set up as – six weeks of maternity leave and seven weeks of bonding time with the baby as if mm-hmm. I'd be fully healed after six weeks. Sure. But, um, like, I feel like it's, I, and I, I know I brought this up. I brought this up in the fair, our very first episode and I brought it up just now. I brought it up multiple times in this episode. Like you are taking care of a baby after you had a, your body yeah. get fucked up. Mm-hmm. And it, so, yeah, it was hard for Kenny because he wasn't getting very much sleep, but he also wasn't healing. Yeah. Which is, I mean, it's just, I mean, as it was happening, I was just like, how is this possible? Like, how does anybody let this happen? Mm-hmm. I need to not be taking care of anything right now. Yeah. And yet. And yet. Here, and yet here we are, billions of us. Billions alive of us. For millennia. <laughs> But I mean, I think that people who give birth do suffer the consequences of that. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um. So yeah, don't breastfeed. I don't think it's worth it most of the time. I thought of a question yes. during the course of this conversation. And mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you that question now. Okay. In spite of myself <laughs> and and my my uh, pr- you know my instinct to protect my image. <laughs> From uh, the repercussions of asking such a stupid question. Okay. It's probably not stupid, though. All right. Here it is. Mm-hmm. Why isn't there breast milk for sale? Okay. So this actually brings up another issue. Okay. There are breast milk ban- banks. Okay. So there are places where women who have an oversupply who are pumping mm-hmm. or breast- breastfeeding... Mm-hmm. Um, or who just want to, I guess, because they like it. Again, not me. Mm-hmm. Can take their extra pumped milk and donate it to a mm-hmm. bank where if somebody needs, again, like let's say you have this baby that has this gastrointestinal issue. Yeah. Um, or another health issue, you can mm-hmm. go to the bank and get breast milk. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that as of now, it's not a place... I think that the issue with it being anything other than donated it is that 
is regulating it because you you mm-hmm. have to regulate this thing and it's impossible to regulate like it's not like cows right mm, right i can tell you like if you have a cow on a farm and it's mm-hmm. organic like that cow is only allowed to eat certain things and have certain conditions and stuff like that yeah. you can't regulate what i'm doing with my body mm-hmm. and you can't like i guess i can sign a paper saying i didn't like drink well right before mm-hmm. i pumped the last time but like mm-hmm. Um, you can't control what I'm eating, like right. the like, so the quality of my breast mm-hmm. milk, which is the other thing. Like another thing with breastfeeding not being free, you know, I brought up all of the things with like all of the sort of accessories that people buy, mm-hmm. but even at a baser level than that, you mm-hmm. need to eat about two hundred to five hundred. I've seen the pretty wide range here, more calories to be producing milk. Oh. Which is to say that there are people who, um, for example, maybe don't have the healthiest relationship with food that aren't eating very much. Mm-hmm. And their children are then suffering because they're not getting the nutrients they need because their mom mm-hmm. isn't drinking very much, isn't eating right. very much. And so, um, yes, why can't you just buy it? Um, I think one, because you can't regulate it. But two, I kind of have a problem with breast milk banks. Okay. Because you're, even though it's all donation based. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so that seems fine to me. It's turning my body into something that is creating a commodity. Mm-hmm. And like, it's just like a further objectification of a woman. And again, mm-hmm. the women who do it, it's the same as sex work, right? Sex work is, I mean, this is a whole different issue. <laughs> But, like, sex work is real. It's real work. Mm -hmm. And there are women that do it uh, because they like doing it. There are women that do it as a survivor situation. And there are women that have both situations, right? So there are Mm -hmm. women that like doing it or they know that it's something that they can do and feel comfortable with that, even if they don't like doing it all of the time, as you and I do Mm -hmm. with any job, right? Yes, jobs. But it is commodifying my body in a way that men's bodies are not as often commodified. Uh Uh-huh. I like the only thing I can really think of as a comparison is like sperm donation. Yeah, that's the first thing I thought of. Yeah. Um, the only thing, I mean, not the only thing, the sort of big difference here is that yeah. men, I mean, with the exception of people that don't get sexual pleasure from things, for the sure. most part, get pleasure from donating sperm. Mm-hmm. Like that's the sort of necessary thing that has to happen. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, I would argue that. Even for the women who like it, like pumping, no, I don't know anybody that likes pumping. I know okay. women that like breastfeeding, but oh, they're, okay. but nobody likes pumping. Gotcha. It's loud. Yeah. You have to, you have to not be wearing a shirt. So if it's anything other than an ideal temperature, it's uncomfortable. Uh, um, it's like wet. There's like a wetness. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, there's all this cleaning involved. So, so, which is to say that like, I get very uncomfortable. With the ethics of having, if you were to start selling breast milk, because then like, Mm -hmm. I mean, women will say sometimes like, I feel like a cow when they're breastfeeding. And it's like, wow, you've just turned into a cow, Mm -hmm. which is not fair. Like, I don't mean to then be mean to people who, for whatever reason, like that or or something. But Mm -hmm. like, I just think that it gets very dicey very, very, very quickly. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I understand. And, and I do see the meaningful distinction between 
the labor that you and I do uh, to uh, survive, i.e. make a paycheck mm -hmm. versus the, the labor that would be involved in, in uh, uh, producing sellable breast milk. Mm -hmm. um, and, but, but also it is, it, yeah, I recognize that distinction and also it's, it's all, it's all abuse of our bodies. You yeah. Know, it's all, it's all, it's all submitting, you know, your, yourself mm -hmm. to, to the, the whims of the system in order to, to generate wealth for more powerful people. Well, and I think, I think to, which I, I mean, guess and, is why, which I guess is why the question came into my mind yeah. is, is that like, I don't, I don't automatically write it off as a possibility. Yes. <laughs> because, yes, totally. because I, I am, I am desensitized to systems of exploitation. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think also it's worth noting. I mean, so clearly there's things that like, you know, the quote unquote self care that like you and I do to be able to get through having a job that we maybe don't love. Yeah, like um, having a podcast. Like having a podcast. This podcast um, is self care. The other, which thing is the that, name of a another podcast, by the way. Sorry, is it really? Yeah, this podcast <laughs> is self care. <laughs> um. Again, this goes back in terms of like you know the feeding into the machine. Mm -hmm. Um. If you are, for example, if there was a situation where you'd be selling your breast milk, now you're suddenly trying to make sure that you're producing as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So let's say, let's say, for example, you're producing breast milk, but you're not actually feeding a baby anymore. Mm -hmm. Let's say your supply starts going down. Well, now you're going to be again being like, oh, let me buy these like lactation bites. Let me right. start drinking this lactation tea. Let me not do, let me avoid these things like yeah. that will, you know, slow down my yeah. production. And, and not to interrupt you, but this is just the teensiest little thing. Did you say lactation bites? Yeah, there are these like you can get these like um like little like granola bars basically. Uh -huh. Yeah. But they're not or they're like little balls, you know, these little yeah. things and they're made with like a nut butter and like I think mm -hmm. flaxseed and like sure. other sort of things that promote lactation. Okay. I put this in quotes cuz they really truly could, you know what I mean? Like Yeah. There are things, you know, this is like, a, this is really a one-to-one, -one, right? Like, what you put mm -hmm. into your body is going to come out in your breast milk. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think it gets woo-woo very quickly. Yes. Um, but that said, you know, truly it might be that there's something you can do to... But I have found no evidence to or against it, I guess is what I yeah. mean. And Between... this would be a place where I could see at least what you're eating is like putting certain nutrients into your breast milk. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I follow. I was going to say between woo woo and wee mwam, it's very fun to hear you talk about even the most serious subjects. <laughs> oh. That's why I classify this as an entertaining podcast. <laughs> it is a good podcast, Will. That's true. First and foremost, it's good. <laughs> Second, I would say that it is entertaining. Well, Will, I think that's all that I have yeah. right now. Um, that's great. I think this is our first episode of the third season, baby, and I'm pissed. Yeah, and and so am I, and we're going to remain <laughs> that way. This is the pissed off season. It's the it's sad holiday season. Yes, it's seasonal affective disorder season. <laughs> it's the holiday season. 
and we're like the uh, and we're recording in October and we're like the the Jack Skellingtons bringing bringing you know horrors and things under the bed in, into the joyful months of the year. We can be like Jack and Sally if you want. <laughs> All right, and then that is uh, is that Taking Back Sunday? No. Is it Panic at the Disco? No. Is it? uh what's that uh, uh is it what's that what's their age again oh is is that blink 182 yeah that's from miss you oh, jesus their most dramatic song oh wow i was i was gonna the the band i was trying to come up with was good charlotte that's no. what i was trying <laughs> no, no, no. to remember i would never quote good charlotte okay <laughs> i still don't know why you don't like blink 182 these are all the same band to me <laughs> in my mind <laughs> Clearly, they've just—I've accidentally put them all in one box, labeled <laughs> labeled some band. <laughs> oh my god! Well, thank you for listening to me talk about my boobs for like an hour and a half. Will sure, thanks for talking to me about the same. <laughs> Love you. See you next week. Love you too. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxed at youngest of one, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram. <laughs>